Welcome into Brewcast from Mesa Brew on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I'm Luke Giardi, joined as always by Anthony Brew and Chris Castellani. Here with you on Monday night, February 22nd, as we head into Tuesday, February 23rd. We have a lot to get to uh, here on the show tonight, and we are uh, streaming live on Twitch. As if you're listening on the podcast, we do Every time we record this show, and usually Monday nights at 7.30, unless we tell you otherwise, sometimes we have to push it a day. It is what it is. Uh, but here tonight, we've got, obviously, uh, going to be a, a lot of time spent on Michigan-Ohio State. What a game that was on Sunday. Uh, we have a little football news as well, uh, in, including some interesting behavior by a former uh, Michigan Wolverine. We'll get into that, a, a decision made that, well, uh, not not too many people were too fond with. We'll put it that way. But before we get into all that, Anthony, Chris, how are we doing here tonight? Not too bad. Still kind of uh, riding the high from the Sunday Sunday afternoons events. It, the further you get away from it, the more it's just like, wow, that was a thing that happened. So, yeah, good times. I mean, anytime we've never. I don't think in the history of this show, we've had a victory Monday, Ohio state edition in any sport. So uh, let's, let's (laughs) take those. What a good point, man. Wow. I hadn't thought about that. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's good. It feels good. It's good to be here. Good to be with uh, the two of you guys. Uh, Me and Chris kind of did the immediate reactions thing yesterday, but here we are, uh, you know, the three amigos here. So let's roll. This is, uh, yeah, you took the words out of my mouth, man. I'm still, I'm still riding the high as well. And that's the, uh, that's the power of sports. And it's something that we haven't had the opportunity to experience very often in the last year plus. But yeah, my, my favorite team went on the road to Columbus and won a whale of a game. And with each, I mean, we, we've known for a while. I think I would, I would even venture to say that our site caught on about as early as anybody that, okay, there's something, there might be something special brewing here. I mean, Anthony, you called this team the best team in the big 10 early January. I mean, before Wisconsin, before Minnesota, you know, before they steamrolled those teams, the, we were one of the first to be like, all right, uh, they're rolling and they've kept rolling and they find themselves currently number three in the country. We can talk about that a little bit. I think, I know they lost the game to Minnesota and, you know, of course, if they would have won that game, who knows where they'd be, but I don't really know what else a team can do to not be number one or number two. You know, it's just the fact that Baylor and Gonzaga are, you know, I won't say head and shoulders because I think Michigan would have a good chance against either one of those teams, but it's an awesome ride that this team is on right now. And yesterday's game, I thought maybe the further I got away from it, my uh, hyperbolicness uh, would change regarding how I felt about it. It hasn't. I think that's what I, I believe that will go down as one of the best big 10 games that we've seen in a long time. And, and it, it was tense the entire way through, and it wouldn't shock me at all if those teams decide to go up against each other again in Indianapolis in the Final Four. I mean, I, I try not to be, you know, like you said, Chris, hyperbolic as, as much as I can on the show. And I, and I spent a lot of time thinking about this here today, uh, just, you know, if, if I wanted to bring it up here on the show. But you well, know, I've watched a lot let's of – Let's call this of, what it is, too. Um our our hubris at times has gotten us hurt with things that we've said on here. Yeah, no, this um, isn't this this is just more to do with, with the game itself. Like like I was thinking about the magnitude of it. You know, it's it's number three versus number four. Like if you just break it down college basketball wise, it is number three versus number four. 
two schools that legitimately hate each other. Like I, I know the basketball teams that that rivalry isn't as much as the football one, but it's still two schools and two fan bases that absolutely despise each other. And it, it's a game, you know, unfortunately the only thing it was missing was it was a giant pack crowd in Columbus, but uh, you had two teams that shot over 50% from the field. You had Michigan shoot 11 of 23 from three and Ohio state shoot 11 of 22 from three. I think Michigan had 19 assists and Ohio state had somewhere like 11, the ball movement, the shot making against good defense. Like I understand Michigan right. scored 90 plus and Ohio state almost scored 90. The defense was there this game, man. And that's what I legitimately think that this is probably a top five regular season college basketball game ever, given the, you know, the, the circumstances surrounding wow. two top five teams that is a 92 87 final against really good defenses, really good shot making. Just, I mean, you could probably go through the history of regular season college basketball and not find too many games that were as good as that one. I, I won't go there yet, but if one of these teams or both of these teams makes a deep run in the tournament, I could see us looking back and being like, yeah, it was incredible that those two teams playing at the, the height, at the height of their powers went up against each other and battled the way that those two teams did. And I mentioned this on the hoops pod, but it's worth repeating. Yeah. Luke, you said it, you know, there's a lot of points, 92 to 87. Oh, there would be people on the outside who'd be like, man, defense must've been optional. It was great defense all game. Guys, hands were in faces, bodies were being thrown around. Guys were falling over fighting for rebounds. Shots just went in. It, it was just a, an offensive clinic from both sides. And somebody, I, my boss at my, my day job is an Ohio state graduate. And he said something to me today that was very, very telling. And I agreed with him that game felt like what the football game should be year in and year out where you have these two programs, elite programs at the top of their game, playing for something that really, really matters. And you get a really close contentious game that was three or four possessions or one or two calls away from going the other team's way. It was, it was a, a whale of a performance. And it's one of the only games I can ever recall in which I can't think of a goat in this game and by goat i mean like a, a, a villain somebody who screwed up nobody played particularly bad on either the, the side guy who just an Arnson. pass with like two minutes left that led to a layup that was that was that was dumb that was dumb <laughs> but i and i don't remember recall who that was mm. but like that I, was the uh it was a the, florida state transfer oh uh, was off the bench there what was his right, who, who, name? Did, what was his name? who didn't play poorly i, I mean it's uh, everyone all around yeah he had 15 Right, exactly. Everyone all around brought their A game. And really, you look at kind of the history of, I mean, any college basketball game, any rivalry game, it usually is the team that makes the fewest mental mistakes that ends up winning the game. And that was a mental mistake on Ohio State's part. The other thing I brought up that just blew my mind, there were 16 turnovers combined in this game. That's what I mean, man. I, I live in it Lansing. It was an incredibly played basketball in game. I know. I, I live in Lansing. I've seen Michigan State match that in the first half, like on a good day in, in this year. So it, it's in, it shows how fluid and how how back and forth and and you know well controlled this game was. That you didn't have a lot of balls being knocked out of people's hands. You didn't have a lot of errant passes. I mean, that was uh, to me like basketball at its finest. Just absolute theater watching that game. I can't disagree with any of that. I mean, if I think of some of the games in any sport of late in the regular season where you're like, wow, that's a moment. Like this is, 
this is a big deal. Probably the most entertaining of entertain, you know, one of the most entertaining events I've seen. The yeah. only thing that comes to mind that might top it for me in this, again, we're kind of, uh, we're still riding the high here. So uh, hyperbole is welcome. The, the thing that, the one that sticks out to me that is kind of in this same realm is that Monday night football game from like a few years ago with the Rams and the chiefs where it was yeah. like 51, 48 comparison. Um, I mean, both teams, just like, like you said, just absolutely getting after it. Um, it it's Michigan slid. They, they did slide uh, on Ken Palm defensively from seventh to 12th, but Ohio state slid from like 63rd to like 88th. So Someone's slide was wow. a lot worse than the other one. Um, and like we said before, again, I'm a broken record here. We know about the top 10 offense, top 15 defense, what that means for you. Michigan is still kind of comfortably there. And actually they moved back up to 11th on defense earlier today. So, yeah, I mean, it's, again, a lot of how this game will be remembered probably depends on what comes next and, and how this year ultimately right. finishes out. Uh, but to me, this if you weren't convinced this, this is a team doing something special and a team that's on a mission yesterday was that and more like that's the say they win the national title and the DVD or the Blu-rays come out of you know, relive Michigan's run through the national title, whatever that documentary would be that this will have its own, you know, its own segment there. And it's just, it's remarkable. It'd be remarkable in, in a vacuum, but it's even more remarkable given what they, again, we're just a, week removed from them doing what they did at Wisconsin after being off for three weeks. So it's just what an incredible, incredible time uh, to be a Michigan basketball fan. It, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and I, one I mean, more thing I wanted to you know, real quick, Luke, sorry. I just, there's just one more thing I wanted to bring up that I forgot on the hoops pod yesterday. And the first half was completely defined by Michigan's, I mean, really for both teams, but especially Michigan's ability to hit the outside shot. I didn't realize this till after we recorded yesterday, Anthony, Michigan missed their last nine three-point attempts and still found a way, mainly thanks to Hunter Dickinson being the bruiser of bruisers to kind of, and Chaundy Brown playing the game of his life, uh, put that thing on ice. It, it shows the versatility of this team that they can have a half where everything's going in and still be up. And then you could have another half where you got to grind and you still find a way uh, to, to put the game on ice. Just uh, amazing. Yeah, I mean, well, Michigan was what eight of eleven in the first half from three, and only up two. Ten of thirteen, I think. Ten of thirteen. Oh my god! I I believe so. Yeah. Just and only up two at halftime. I like. I felt bad. I felt bad about that in during halftime. I said, "Ah, man," because I I knew water was going to find its level a little bit, but. Like you said, man, the the offensive rebounding because they struggled a little bit on the defensive glass there in that first half. Ohio State kept a couple possessions alive. They had some good second chance opportunities, and then mm-hmm. Michigan kind of turned it on in the second half. Uh, you know that was obviously the story of the game. I went and uh, watched this one today, like the like a condensed version. You know, it was pretty much the the whole game. Uh, a few plays here and there missed out, but really condensed. So you don't have all the stoppages in place. The amount of tough shots that were hit in this game just blew my mind all over again. Like I knew it was happening. Like like Liddell who comes out in that first possession and Hunter Dickinson is all over him and sinks it from 18, just no problem. And I was like, all right, we're in for a dog fight. And then Washington just didn't want to miss. That's another thing. Why can it just never be easy against like in a game like this, you know, 
Like, like Michigan was up nine with 30 seconds to go, and we had to sweat the final they, two free throws with three seconds left. It's they made never sure they, easy. They, kept, they made sure they snuck they in kept here. Throwing in threes. I, yeah. Like, I, I was so straight. I legitimately did not sit for, like, 30 to 35 straight minutes. I was just pacing <laughs> like crazy. Come on, man. It was, it was a no place for a nervous person. Right. It was, Thank God I was by myself. I'll tell you that. Oh, my goodness, man. But the question—it was a remarkably. Go ahead. Real quick, I was saying it was, it was a remarkably stressful experience, and I, I there's one sequence I, I I talked about it a little bit on the on the the pod that we did, Anthony. But I wanted to bring it up again. I think Ohio State was really—I mean, you say all teams want this. But I think Ohio State really wanted to get out to a to a quick start here and punch Michigan in the mouth, and it was four nothing Buckeyes. And they had an open three from the wing with a chance to make it seven, nothing. And they missed. And it seemed for the first three or four possessions that Michigan was really getting, you know, hawked defensively. Those two threes that Eli Brooks hit at the beginning of that game, I think really set the tone for the entire, entire game. Like I, I can't imagine this game would have gone well for Michigan. If this thing would have started nine to two or seven to nothing, honestly, I, I think that even though there's no crowd, when that happens on the road, it's often bad news to be able to settle in as quickly as they did with, with, with your, one of your senior leaders hitting those two big shots. I, I think it, it allowed them to get settled in and was ultimately a huge reason why they ended up winning that game. I think uh, also, uh, I agree 100%, Chris, and it was also the the passes, not on the second one. The first one I don't think was from Hunter, but he got double teamed and found Brooks in the corner for that second one. And I think there was one more time Hunter passed out of a double team for an open three. And if you go back and look, they didn't really, the post entries, they didn't double like that anymore. You know, it, it was pretty yeah. much one on one. They had the you had the the bullshit offensive foul. Excuse my uh, French there um, on, <laughs> on on the one. I it mean, it was one of the show. worst calls I've ever seen. You know, and that's when I had some very bad things to say about the bald ref. But um, you had like there was nothing like even even something like that. You know, it, it was just one on one with the villain dude from Ohio State. And you just never saw it. I mean, he got double teamed sometimes when he got an offensive rebound, but on a straight post entry, they they had help waiting, but it was never a hard double because they were so afraid of his ability to pass out of the double team. That's one of his biggest strengths because that allows him to work one-on-one on the block. It's, It's truly amazing, his ability to pass out of a double team. It's incredible. That really is a tremendous point that you made. And I think it's one of the reasons why Dickinson in the second half had so much success and really kind of grinded and, and, and wore down Ohio state's interior defense, not just what Brooks was able to do, but what Shondi was able to do. I mean, those, those mm-hmm. three, three pointers from the wings that changes the entire defensive outlook. And it, again, it speaks to how deep this team is that you can double and they've talked about it before. Dickinson's talked about it. Go, he said, go ahead and double team me. Watch what happens. Wagner's going to be open in the corner. Shondi's going to be open on the wing. Livers is going to be open up top. You know, like it's, it's pick your poison with this team. And we've seen on certain, I mean, on one occasion it worked, but uh, against Minnesota, but they're the, the, the game plan of shut down Dickinson, shut down Michigan is, is a false narrative. It worked one time in a game where Michigan shots weren't falling and they didn't have Eli Brooks. Other than that, there's so many guys on this team that can beat you. I mean, how do you prepare for a Shawnee Brown? Really? The guy comes off the bench. 
He's not in the starting rotation. You're you you're gonna spend your entire week game planning for Wagner, game planning for Dickinson, game planning for Livers, and then you have a guy off the bench who's a defensive mastermind who can just who's shooting threes at a rate that would like make Duncan Robinson blush at, at this point. Like that it it speaks to just how ridiculously deep that team is. Anthony, you brought it up yesterday. Johnny Brown would start for probably every other team in the Big Ten right now. And therefore, probably every other team in the country. And this dude's coming off the bench and, and giving them some some money minutes. It's you know, it's pick your poison with this team every single game. Shondi Brown guards me in my nightmares. Dude, tell me about it. Dang, it's, he's the man. I need to talk to someone about that. Seriously, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. and and the worst part is in my nightmares, I can't dribble or shoot. Yeah, I don't know. You guys ever get dreams like that? I, guess, like, I can't do that in real life. So. Like every time I go to dribble, I like lose the ball and it's a like, and Shondi Brown's there. I promise. <laughs> he, he pulls your pants down and the whole, you're just exposed to the whole gym full of people. Right. Is that how that goes? <laughs> yeah. Right. It, exactly. And it's like, wow, this guy sucks. Yeah. So I don't have dreams like that. Just I'm not projecting or anything. <laughs> oh man. Uh, I, how do we get this guess- back on the rails? I, well, I guess I guess the big thing is here, like uh, this is not like this is a great win, but how do you like regain your focus if you're Michigan? You know, like I, well, I'm sure I, they have the senior leadership to do it, but man, you you still got Illinois and Iowa to play, like, and this is, I mean, the the high that must have been feeling after this game must have been truly remarkable. Well, I think it's it's weird because I think it's where they actually benefit from having a difficult schedule. Because if they went from Ohio State to, no disrespect, but this team sucks, to Nebraska to three games later having to play Iowa, I think there there would be kind of that that roller coaster of emotions, potential letdown. But I think they're going to stay laser focused because they know their next opponent is really good. Uh, and I know we I've I've. <laughs> I've taken many shots at Iowa. They're really good. The reason I take shots at them is that I think they probably should be better and their ceiling could be a lot higher, but that's a top 15 basketball team in the country and and Michigan's got to play them. I think that having a difficult schedule has allowed this team to remain pretty focused the whole, the whole way through and knowing that like there aren't many, you know, there's nothing but obstacles here. There are no gimmies. And it's, I think, also benefited from the fact that they're not going from a Sunday afternoon game to a Tuesday night. I think they probably have had that 24-hour period to celebrate, enjoy this one. Now it's back to work. And that's that's important because it picks up here. You know, the, the easiest game, not, you know, Michigan State jokes aside, the easiest game that they probably have left is – at Indiana, everybody else besides that, I mean, the, those are going to be either very good to mild to scrappy opponents. I mean, if you watched Illinois on Saturday, uh, that looks like a team that thinks that they can that believes they belong in that upper echelon with Baylor and with Gonzaga and with with Michigan. So I think it's and we said this from the beginning, like way back in October when we talked about Michigan basketball. The schedule, obviously before the shutdown, but the schedule lines up well for them because all of their easier quote-unquote opponents the Penn States the Nebraska's the Maryland's of the world were at the beginning of their schedule and the more difficult opponents came at the very end and that I think is is advantageous to a team like this because you you get some wins under your belt you get the confidence under your belt you're now number three in the country and now you got to face off against some Goliaths but at the same time Michigan's beaten everybody so maybe they are the Goliath but they got to keep proving it 
Oh, they're de- they're the Goliath. There's no question about that. I don't. Everyone's they're, they're getting get- in their best shot. Uh, that that was the other point I was trying to make, and it's 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 similar to 2013, and we saw that team. As much as I love them, they're my favorite sports team of all time. Had those roadblocks where once they got to number one, everyone was taking a big swing at them, and they stumbled. They stumbled against Penn State and Michigan State and Indiana twice. You know, they made Wisconsin twice. I mean, they had some some serious missteps. Uh, it's going to be the case for this team now and has been for a while. The biggest difference is that this team has more experience than that one did. You know, as great as the 2013 team was, that team had to grow up really fast because you were starting what three by the end, three freshmen, a sophomore, and a junior. Now they were those more experienced guys were national player of the year, NBA veteran Tim Hardaway. Like you're playing a lot of talented guys, but guys who had not experienced uh, a, a deep NCAA tournament run before. There are still guys on this team who have played in a final four. Isaiah Livers started a final four game several years ago. I think that is so huge for a team like this because you can't say that about any other team in the big 10 Illinois. I don't think, I don't think AO DeSumo has made the NCAA tournament. We know, we know what Iowa does every time they get to March, Michigan state's probably the more most experienced, but they're ranked 11th in the big 10 right now. This is weirdly, despite, you know, how the, the youth of Hunter Dickinson and some of the guys coming off the bench and Mike Smith playing at Columbia last year, probably one of the more experienced hardened groups in the conference, which is, is strange to say, because I think coming into the season, we were worried about potential inexperience. No, I think there's merit to all of that. And when you look at the, they are, they're the team with the target on their back. They are the Goliath right now, so to speak. And I think they've handled that pretty well. They've done a pretty good job of, of compartmentalizing how they go about their business. Um, you know, they, they don't, you hear all the cliches. Oh, we're, you know, we're competitors. We don't look ahead. Uh, they, they truly embody that. And, you know, the, the lone remaining test um, and it's the test that, we didn't even get to see Juwan Howard even taken his first year was the postseason. Right. And I, I think that while this schedule, yeah, you've got some heavyweights coming up. You'll play Iowa on Thursday, but then it's going to be a quick turnaround. You have to go right back out and play on the road Saturday at Indiana. And, and that could be, you know, if you're looking for one of those little quote unquote trap games, the rest of the way, um, having that Indiana game sandwiched between, Iowa and Illinois, that might be a game like Minnesota where just nothing goes right and, and things like that. You know, this is the, really the first time this year where, you know, we've seen how they've dealt with uh, the holiday layoff. We we've seen how they've responded to the three week layoff. They've won three games in a row since then. Now we're going to see how they do. You got a big game. Um, everyone's going to be watching just like everyone will be watching this team in March got this big game Thursday and then you got to come right back out. And obviously if you lose, you're not going to get eliminated like you would in the tournament, but you got to come right back out and play Saturday on the road. And then the next week you get Illinois. And then two days later, you're playing Michigan state. So it's just one of those things where when you're looking for these, these benchmarks, these, the next challenges ahead of them, that's kind of what, where they're at. I mean, I, like I said, I've, I've, this team's been in the top 10 since the, uh, calendar flipped to 2021 they've you know spent the better part of the last month month and a half as a top five team and and now it's i'm talking kempom here by the way i don't have the ap poll in front of me but um it's i don't know what else to say other than the only i'm 
as fun as looking back on these games have been to me, it's just the next challenge, the next test. I mean, you're going through a, a, th- a four game stretch here where obviously you just took care of Ohio state, but then you get, you know, it's, it's murderer's row right after that. And champions championship caliber teams and great teams and elite teams win more of those games than they don't. And we haven't seen Michigan lose a competitive game yet. So I am interested no. in seeing, um, I am interested in seeing what that might look like too. I'm not looking for them to lose, but can they play their best basketball and be beaten? And right now, I don't think that's the case. You know, it's funny. We have a, a question here from B Coop 3 in the Twitch. He said, would this team beat the 2013 team or 2018 team in a seven game series? And I like, I think about it and I don't know if I, you know, want to answer it. Cause I, I think probably uh, there, there's a yeah. good chance that they could be both of those teams in a seven game series, but I think they're actually a really good like combo of the 2013 and 2018 teams. Like 2013, I think they were the number one offense in the country, Ken Palm, and, and they ranked somewhere like 70th defense or something like that that year. But they were they were like number one in points per possession. They were scoring like at 1.25 points per possession or something that year. It was mm-hmm. absolutely dumb. Uh, but they didn't really play a whole lot of defense. They outscored a lot of teams. Uh, 2018 was kind of the opposite, man. Remember how much, how frustrating it used to get? I've got uh, the numbers the- here if you want me to cross-reference that. Uh, okay. 2013, 2013, they were the the top offense in the country. They were 37th on defense. So Okay, so a little better than I thought. And then 2018, they were 35th on offense and third yeah. in defense. So, like, almost completely – Right. And, and so here we are with, with the top 10 offense, you know, number seven offense, number 12 defense. I think that might even be a little inflated because, again, Ohio State hit so many damn tough shots in that game. Like, Michigan still played really good defense that a lot of teams aren't going to hit the shots that Ohio State hit. So this right. is like the – this is the perfect balance between the 2013 and 2018 teams, I feel like. Yeah, and, no, I, and also, I'm with you. Real, real quick Completely. for reference to the 2014 team uh, that went to the Elite Eight uh, was third in offense and 89th on defense. So we quite literally wow. have never seen a Michigan team, you know, that's been this good on both sides of the ball like this one currently and, is. And that that team probably would have been in the hundreds if not for the fact that Jordan Morgan was one of the best defensive players in the conference that year. Like I think one yeah. of the more underappreciated players of the beeline era. He, he was, yeah, he, he was a, a versatile, versatile defender, very underrated, you know, could str- struggled a bit, got benched his junior year, but was a key reason why that team won the big 10 outright and made it as far as they did. You know, I, I just, I want to say one more thing. Cause you know, it's, we're looking ahead. Everyone's looking ahead, you know, cause they, it is, it is a legitimate possibility that, and no one's crazy. And I don't care. People dig up old takes, expose, whatever. I'm sorry. On February 22nd, it is not crazy to say that this team could be playing on a Monday in April from the national championship. It's not, but I want to, I want to say something real quick about this team and just kind of where we're at in this moment. Cause Anthony, you brought it up a little bit yesterday about how, you know, trying to, trying to enjoy the little things. Now I, I want this team to win a national championship. I know you guys want this team to win a national championship. Do you know what a dream it would be? to come on here and record with you guys following a national championship win. It'd it'd be amazing. And I want that for the team and I want that for the fan base, but I I can't this today, especially, and I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. So I was a little bit loopy, but like there's something to be said about the chase. Like I woke up on Sunday nervous about the Ohio state game. And that's like, 
I that's like a blessing to me that I can be nervous about something that I have no stake in. And that's that's the chase. And like people ask me all the time, like, oh, my God, Chris, like, what would you do if the Tigers won the World Series? It'd be amazing. I'd be so happy. I could die with a smile on my face. That's what I want. But like I miss I miss the chase. I miss being two games back of the tribe with a three game set in August and Verlander's pitching game one. You know, there's something to be said about this moment because 90 percent of the teams that we root for have no interest in the chase anymore. We spent all fall covering a football team that, and this is true, would have been better off having their season be canceled because of a pandemic than actually playing and going to and for. So there is, I just, I, I wanted to, to bring this up because there really is something worth noting about how like every game feels important. Every game feels meaningful. And I've missed that. I've missed talking about that. I've missed covering that. And I don't know how it's going to end. Maybe they'll win the whole thing. Maybe they'll lose in the first round, but this run that they're on, is irreplaceable to me. Like it is so much fun mm. night in and night out seeing what this team is going to do. I think it's a blast. Yeah, it is, man. It's it's what they say, right? The chase is better than the catch. Something like yeah. that. We're just saying about that, right? It's on a cat poster somewhere, I'm sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, all right. So uh we will talk about the the Garza Dickinson matchup fat man for you that'll probably be next week uh we will definitely will break that down eligibility wise yes everyone is eligible to return um if they so choose but uh yeah uh we do got to shift gears here a little bit quick because we had some interesting uh news dropped last week uh what was it the end of last week all these days are kind of running together here i think i think it was saturday i think was it saturday okay uh so former michigan linebacker ben van zummerin uh, he decided, he announced that after, uh, entering the transfer portal, he's just going to go about a mile up the road to East Lansing play for Michigan state. And that definitely, as you might expect, got a few reactions, but not only from the Michigan fan base. Uh, how about the <laughs> Michigan players, man, Mike Barrett sending out the tweet of the year on that one. What did nah, he say? Bro, what was it? Nah, bro. He said, nah, bro, poo anyway, or something. Uh, <laughs> That's mm. see, I don't want to analyze this too deeply because I don't know if there's really much there, but when you hear talk about um, potential problems with culture and guys that just don't mesh well, for sure. I, there's a little bit of merit that carries a little bit of weight to me when I see guys tweeting about someone leaving like that. Um, I can't recall. I mean, first of all, you don't see, and first of all, let me just say this. Where Ben Van Summer chooses to play football is totally up to him. And if they're offering him a scholarship and he's comfortable going there, this that's a non-issue to me. Um, and we've seen we've seen guys switch schools like that before. Um, remember the the Borens with Ohio State and Michigan and yep. um, Ed Warner's kid transferred from Michigan State to Michigan, but again, you know, different call it what it is, different caliber of player, but you know, it just it, it lends some credence to the idea that maybe maybe there was a little more friction in that locker room on the defensive side of the ball um, than than we knew already. But that is, uh, like I said, I've never seen, and it wasn't like an like an outward team reaction. I think most guys were quiet about it, but to see it wasn't just Mike Barrett. I think someone else had something to say about it too. But yeah. Um, the transfer does nothing for me because to be frank with you and 
I say this looking over my shoulder, hoping that a, a division one linebacker isn't waiting to like assault me, but honestly, it's <laughs> not, it's not a big loss for them. So, no, it's just, anyway. it's just the fact of where he transferred to at the end of the day. And it wasn't a, it's not a grad transfer. It's, and it's, you know, it, it's a guy who, who did play, uh, you know, a little bit or whatever, but it's not like Andrew Dockich going to Ohio state and like he even <laughs> caught hell no. for that, you know, like, so no, it, it's just, that was the, yeah. What's, no, what's that, Chris? that was, that was, that was where Anthony and I met was at uh, for the first time was that Andrew Dockage game when he got booed out of uh, Chrysler Center. <laughs> yeah. In, in 2018. You just, you just no, like, um, don't do it, man. You know? Right. And that's the thing. That's what people are going back and forth. Like recruiting and transfer Twitter to me. And this is really saying something is the worst Twitter in my opinion, like by a substantial margin. And I saw over the weekend, two people that I really like and have interacted with, so I'm not going to call out, you know, going back and forth about the whole thing. And they were never going to agree on it. But, look, it's fair to to wish the guy the best to say that it is one million percent, especially if he's not getting paid, his right to go wherever the hell he wants. But it, it is all – it's completely fair to note that it is odd. It's strange. It is weird. I, I would find it odd if I went to – like, I you know, I went to – Central. Let's say I would have continued my tennis career beyond high school and played at Central for two years. And I was like, you know what? I want to, I want to start playing at Western. I think that that would be a weird conscious decision to be like, all right, I'm changing fight songs. I'm changing the colors. Whole family's got to ditch all their, 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 uh, you know, Central gear and, and change. Like it would be, it would be odd. So it is an odd transfer. I think it speaks to the state of both, both programs. One. Yeah. I mean, with every, Every one of these, you know, again, it's death by a million paper cuts. It it adds to the idea, and I think it holds a lot of weight that there is there is some issues within the Michigan program. Now, of course, he probably wasn't going to get playing time, but there has to be some sort of personal beef when you jump from Michigan to Michigan State. I'm so there has to be. There's got to be some sort of chip on your shoulder, and I think it speaks to the fact that Mel Tucker, uh, in fairness to him, is is gonna is gonna work his ass off to try to acquire every little bit of talent that he can acquire i think they had a a serviceable recruiting class in year one for him and i I think he's he's doing that again i think that he's gonna have a pretty uh unique environment there that certain people are gonna want to play for and i think van summerin is 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 a prime example of that it's it's one of those things that it's it's an interesting story it's a fun story much like justin boren was uh early in the rich rod days when he went to Ohio State, but it's it has to be said. And you brought it up, Anthony. The guy he wasn't going to play. It's not like you know, it's not like Rashawn Gary after year one deciding to go to Ohio State. I mean, this was a guy who'd gotten beat out, who was a backup essentially on a defense that was Swiss cheese all of last season. You know, that was getting torched by every court that made Rocky Lombardi look like Patrick bleeping Mahomes. So it's it's it is what it is. It's a fascinating story to discuss and. If you want to say it's another uh, unfortunate notch on the belt for the Harbaugh era, you can. But, like, if they were winning 10, 11 games or 11, 12 games a year, no one would even blank, you know, blank, blank at this. But the fact is they've underachieved. And so people are going to make it into something more than it probably is. Yeah, I just like I just like that the players – I don't – it doesn't sound like well, – let, let me see life. this. It shouldn't, it shouldn't have gone – unsaid or unaddressed that if you're a guy that's it's in that locker room i totally get being pissed off and being of course um, 
Yeah, you have every right to do that. Just, I mean, again, I, I think there's something's weird there. Like, you just got to be wired differently um, to be bought in, or maybe he wasn't entirely bought in. Um, to I don't think I don't think you can be entirely bought in and then make that decision. You know, yeah. No, that, it's again, try not to psychoanalyze it too much, but yeah, there, uh, there is also real quick. Anthony, there is also the other theory that perhaps maybe he loved Don Brown. I mean, you know, Don Brown needed to go. That that would that was a a a disappointing end to what had been a fairly solid tenure. But when he left, almost unanimously, everyone who was a part of the program, both currently and in the past, said we loved the guy. We loved playing for him. Now it didn't work out uh, a, from an X's and O's from a results standpoint, but he might have been a guy who came to Michigan because of that and decided, you know what, uh, my guy's not here anymore. I'm going to play wherever I want. Now, of course, you had the have the the curveball there of. He went to one of your biggest rivals, but that I think that could have been absolutely a, a determining factor behind this whole thing. Sure. Yeah. Don Brown, I mean, well, outside of the defensive tackles, but yeah, I think that Don Brown in many ways, at least early in his tenure, maybe not the last couple of years had a solid impact on recruiting here. Now it fell off the last couple of seasons and thus the reason why his defenses were so poor his last few years when he was at Michigan. But yeah, I, th- I think that was probably part of the reason as well. We also uh, had a little bit of news that, uh, I mean, it surprised, uh, I know, uh, at least me and Chris, I think it surprised Anthony. I'm not really 100% sure, but uh, uh, Jim Harbaugh not going to be uh, coaching the quarterbacks apparently here this year. Uh, Baltimore, who just keep rating, you know, his brother's staff does old Jimmy Harbaugh. Uh, Matt Weiss or Weiss, I don't know what the correct pronunciation is here uh, for him. He was a running backs coach at Baltimore. He's going to come be the, the quarterbacks coach at Michigan and uh, lost Brian Jean Mary. So the, the staff just still, still trying to find its footing here a little bit. Yeah. I, I can't, you say you weren't sure how I feel. I, I, I can't say that I'm like shocked uh, that the BGM decided to BJM. Sorry. To, I, I always forget how to pronounce his name. So I just abbreviate it. <laughs> but um, this is a guy who, if, if Christian Robinson decided he was coming here from Florida to coach the linebackers, there probably wouldn't have been a spot for him on the staff. And, and as a result, you saw him, he had a little bit of a flirtation with urban Meyer in Jacksonville um, did interview there a couple weeks ago, but it seemed like he was locked in. And now what this does is again, it goes back to what we've talked about for this thing to get turned around. There has to be a massive all in effort from all the parties that are involved here, players, coaches, water boys, support staff, you name it. And again, it is, it is interesting that uh, not saying that he doesn't have any other options, but we've talked about the impact of, of what that contract extension could be in terms of, perceived stability and whatnot and it's interesting to me that they keep going to this baltimore ravens well there's clearly something um he's trying you know there's something there that that jim is trying to replicate at michigan and like i said a part of me commends him for that maybe it maybe he ends up being a uh a psychic and and he's a a visionary and this is what michigan needs but on the other hand, if, if these guys were so – let me choose my words carefully here because we will <laughs> interact with them at some point. If – why does John, John Harbaugh let these young up-and-comers go 
to coach for his brother. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, especially I understand. I understand the the uh, linebackers coach to D coordinator because that's an upgrade. But running backs coach to quarterbacks coach is just a bit of a lateral move. Yeah, mm-hmm. my understand. Like I, I think there's probably a. If I had to guess, there's probably like a game planning and analytics based thing that he's looking to bring over. Uh, I think people I've talked to think they do want to be a little more like Baltimore offensively. Um, whether that, you know, you don't have Lamar Jackson, so that doesn't help, but, um, (laughs) you know, like, like I said, uh, George Hilo going to coach the line or coach the linebackers, Ron Bellamy was going to coach the wide receivers. He's moving to safeties now. So, I mean, it all balances out. It's just, it's weird that it's almost March and, and they're dealing with this, but, Apparently, uh, hey, it, it is what it is. Uh, I, I don't – Jim Harbaugh coaching the quarterbacks one way or another, to me, yeah, doesn't doesn't make much of a difference. And this doesn't – you know, this could be a Ben McDaniels thing or it could be Jed Fish. Who the hell knows? Um, I didn't even know who this guy was until yesterday. So, for me to sit here and act like I know what's coming or what the thought process behind it is, I don't know. I mean, there, there is – I'll say this there's a certain amount of what's going on right now that does feel like throwing a lot of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks and we'll see what sticks, but I, I just, been a I lot don't... of that over the last six years, hasn't there? Yeah. 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 There has. So that's kind but of where in... we're at right now. Yeah. I, I think, I don't think it's unfair to say that it, there is, there is a bit of desperation mode at this point. Right. I, I think it, it, in general, the, Jim Harbaugh is not a dumb man. He, he's aware of what the expectations are, and he's aware of the fact that they've fallen short of those expectations. I don't have a ton to say about this simply because, and again, maybe I'm just being a sim- simpleton here. Uh, I am, I'm, I'm the only non-college graduate of, of this podcast, but man, I, I, even I'm starting to get kind of confused by who's coaching what. I mean, Ron, Ron Be- is Ron Bellamy now with the safeties? Is that – or the DBs? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, when did that one, drop? Because I because I thought he was wide receivers. I, I must have missed that news. He was. He, he no, they said he was going to be. I think they just moved him like a couple days ago. Okay, but it, it would it would have been in the aftermath of all this because what you can't okay. have right. is four defensive assistants, three of them being new guys, and then have six guys on offense because then you're dealing with a too many cooks in the kitchen type deal. So, yeah. Um, and I mean, I'd, I'd even argue you're kind of already doing that. Just get this. And I don't, I don't want to go there, but like I'm starting to get mild last two years of the D'Antonio administration kind of vibes off of this, where it's like, okay, you coach this and then you coach this and then we're going to rearrange and you're going to coach this. It's just kind of like that desperation. All the same guys is. though. That's true. That is true. But like, I mean, Ron Bellamy has been here for two weeks and he's already had two different coaching positions. So I find that a little bit odd. The the other part that I find strange is I just, I thought it was set in stone that Harbaugh was going to coach the quarterbacks again. I, maybe there was misinformation. Anthony, you love to reference those, those sites, the paywalls. So maybe I, I missed something. No, there no, that, that was, happened. this was the plan. Like this isn't uh, I think all of this was kind of precip- uh, precipitated by, um, you know, Jean Marie deciding to go elsewhere. Uh, yeah. When that became apparent, then you have another staff spot to fill. And for Michigan, it's probably easier at this point to kind of backfill and and just go just go hire 
the best, you know, I'm, this is where I think they're coming from. Mike McDonald can coach, you know, the linebackers or, or he'll have an impact there. We'll move Hilo to linebackers. We'll move Bellamy over to safeties. Ron Bellamy has been a, a head coach. I know it was high school, but he, he, he doesn't just know wide receivers. So like, that's, you know, I know. He, I, yeah. Um, and, and Mo Linguist will have a big part in all that too, but it just seems like to me, this screams, I don't like, let's not, and I don't want this to come off as a lazy thing. I think it was just a, an effort to just, let's just bring in a guy who I think is the best assistant that can fill one of these 10 slots. And again, we're just starting up, you know, we're just getting started with spring football. We can, we can make this pivot now because there's really, I mean, what else is really in place at the moment? I mean, you're already putting in a new defense. You're, mm-hmm. um, you know, it just, it's like a fresh start for everyone. So it is weird, but it's not like this was necessitated by one of your staff members leaving. This wasn't Jim Harbaugh waking up one day, you know, slamming a glass of, of whole ass milk and just being like, you know what? I don't want to coach QBs anymore. So I, I think that's just all kind of what it, um, man, I would assume this might be a big assumption here for me, but I would assume that Jim Harbaugh, Oh God, I'm going to get skewered for this. I would assume that Jim Harbaugh is not going to hire someone that isn't qualified for the role he has in mind for them. And now I'll duck the tomatoes. Yeah. Hasn't, hasn't stopped him before, <laughs> but no, I, 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 I do get your point. I do get your point. I guess the, the one other thing I am surprised is that I, 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 I would have guessed at on late November when the season ended in December that Josh Gaddis wouldn't be back. There has not, we have not heard from him much. Did he delete his Twitter? Yeah. Well, he had that whole thing where he had, he congratulated Ohio state and then he privated his Twitter. I forgot about that, but like he hasn't been very active. He hasn't said much. I guess I'm through all the rearranging. I'm a little bit surprised that the one guy that they've been hell bent on keeping has been Gaddis and we'll see where it goes. Like I would have been more, I would have been fine really with a complete overhaul. And they did essentially did do that except for the OC. So that's a little bit surprising. Also, you know, what else you, could do, you know what else is a problem when you have to overhaul your whole staff? Uh, maybe the guy who's in place at the top, like, I know uh, we've had that conversation many times. I know, I know. I'm just saying, I'm just saying to it. We are where we are. I think this has been a good episode. And before we go down that path of me yelling about football, we might just want to call it (laughs) unless you have anything. We didn't even, we didn't even get to the fact that Joe Milton's in the transfer portal. Oh, well, you know, this Michigan Ohio state game yesterday really just like, I kind of forgot everything else that was happening. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I forgot. I forgot the football team was awful for a second. Yeah. 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 It it just superseded everything. Like all the news prior to it, just completely whatever, you know, basketball school. That's what it is. Yeah, absolutely. It's feeling like it. I I do. I do actually want to say one quick thing about Milton because I, I, uh, there are certain Michigan quarterbacks that you felt like something got lost in the translation. I think the perfect example to me is Devin Gardner, where it's like, I think Devin Gardner somewhere in him was an excellent college quarterback. I think the constant changing of systems was, you know, such a detriment to him. And and we know what Nussmeyer did here. 
Milton's going to be an interesting one because yes, he's an uh, incredible specimen. Yes. A big arm, but I mean, you talk about a guy who was given a golden opportunity here for, you know, this entire season, he was handed the keys to the car and I, the, the ability is there. The arm is there. The build is there, but uh, Steven did such a great job and he didn't mean to do this. He wasn't, he wasn't signaling the guy out, but Steven did such a great job on, on Mason brew on the, on the YouTube page of breaking down every snap. And you really got the impression that this is a quarterback who's just, not that great at reading defenses like like the the yeah if he wants to throw a 50 yard post route to Cornelius Johnson in the end zone against Indiana he can do that because he's got he's got a great build and a big arm but I'll be I'm sure he might go somewhere smaller and be successful but yeah I, I think I'm not I'm not weeping about the loss of Joe Milton the only reason it's frustrating it's, is because this is quarterback number seven of the Harbaugh era and none of them have been elite it's just amazing how much time we spent on the Milton versus McCaffrey thing. And now they're just both gone. Yeah. And, and McCaffrey never taken a snap here and is now where, I mean, no, I know he's where his dad is coaching. What, where is it? Northern Colorado or yeah. what, what's that? Northern Colorado. Yeah. That's um, yeah. I was, I was always under the belief that D Mac was the best quarterback on the roster. Like I, I, a lot of people tried to push the Milton stuff and, one day, John U. Bacon will have to write another book reluctantly because I don't think he wants to write another one. He doesn't want to, but he has to. Right, right, but he's but he also wants to buy another house, so he's probably going to end up writing <laughs> writing another one. But uh, and I I love John U. He's the best. But but I about what happened there because in a typical season, those stories would have leaked out more about the quarterback competition. But in a COVID year where everyone was as Harbaugh, you know, the the phrase he coined in the submarine. We don't really know what went on. It's like there was a there was a huge brawl. Everybody came out bruised, and yet we don't know who threw the first punch. It's kind of a, it's kind of a weird thing. Yeah. what happened? We'll, we'll never really know, and we will at some point. What happened with the quarterback situation last season? Was it DMac got frustrated? Was he was it that he threatened to opt out? I've heard a million different rumors, but it was clear outside of the Minnesota game, which of course turned out to be the fluke of all flukes. It was clear that the guy who was starting at quarterback for Michigan last year was not a confident quarterback. And outside of two and a half quarters of Cade McNamara, nobody who took snaps for U of M last year really was. I love this from uh, Kyle Walney here in the, uh, the maze, the, the Twitch chat. I think he ends up at UCF USF or FAU, but give me Joe Milton and Gus Malzahn down at UCF, man. He's saucy. He could work for him. I would love it. I would love to see it. I mean, you know, the UCF, that's, that's the perfect place. I think for a guy like Joe Milton mm-hmm. here, but Hey, maybe who knows Michigan. They're not, uh, they're not, it's not a foreign concept to start a true freshman at quarterback. So we'll, we'll be talking a lot of JJ McCarthy versus, versus Caden McNamara. I think coming up here, I don't think uh, Dan Valari, you think he's going to get in the mix here? I'm sure that uh, he'll name his name will be brought up in a press conference with like the walk-ons too. I mean, those guys are playing well because Jim Harbaugh has a way of like, if you ask him about a position group or a player, he just he'll rave about the entire position group. And I'm not disrespecting those other guys. It's just kind of how these things go. Right. Um, I will say this: quick thoughts on quarterback battle. When you look at Cade McNamara's high school film and you look at JJ McCarthy's high school film. Throw ratings aside, those two guys to me look like the most college-ready quarterbacks that 
Michigan has recruited. Now it doesn't mean anything, but you know, the fact of the matter is Jim Harbaugh has like none of these quarterbacks that have been signed by Harbaugh have finished their careers as playing quarterback at Michigan. Zach Gentry moved to tight end. Brandon Peters transferred. McCaffrey's transferring. Milton's transferring. And that leaves you. And and those, you know, in those first two or three years of the quarterback stuff, I was pretty easy on them because it does, it does take time. And, and Jim Harbaugh wasn't recruiting like the, the JT Daniels, Justin Fields of the world who come in and they're ready right out of the box, which we could do a whole show on that, honestly, but seven years in, which is where we're at now. And you haven't recruited the long, we still don't know if you've recruited the long-term and by long-term, I mean a multiple year starter answer quarterback. People are going to write if slash when this flames out with Harbaugh, if it happens again, don't want to be negative, but people will be, there will be so many think pieces that are written and so many, what the heck happened? This was a home run hire, blah, 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 blah. It hasn't, it's not difficult to diagnose why it hasn't gone better here. Quarterback's been a big problem. So I don't, to, to bring this full circle, I don't want to say that I'm not relieved. I won't say I'm relieved that Jim Harbaugh is not coaching the quarterbacks, but I'm also not, not opposed to it being someone else. So whoever that That's is. That's fair. That's fair. The, the, yeah. I, and I wasn't either. The only reason I brought it up is just, it seemed like it was set in stone. And then yeah. they kind of pulled the rug out at the last second. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I don't care. I really like, like any, any random schmo could be doing it. If they're successful, it doesn't really, no team has ever been like, man, this, this staff is great, but I'm really worried about the quarterbacks coach. It's just, it, it, mm-hmm. it was a weird juxtaposition because of the last second, it seemed like there was that kind of random sudden twist. All right, let's wrap this up. Chris, where can we find you on social media, my man? Uh, at Castellani 2014, you know, we're getting, uh, we're getting closer to baseball season. I, I, I'm, I, something's coming and, and I, I know I've been teasing that for a long time. I've been working on a lot of things, but I, I promise you, uh, there's, th- there will be in some capacity, even if it's a limited capacity, a return to that wonderful, uh, magical place in the sky known as Twitter. But I have another show as well. Locked on Tigers. That's at Locked on Tigers on Twitter. Talking Tigers baseball three times a week right now. Starting in March, it will be going to back to five days a week, and that will last all the way through the season, probably into uh, late November, early December. Talking Tigers baseball and just talking baseball in general because uh, talking for you know several hours a week about a baseball team that's going to lose 100 games would make me want to pull my hair out. So I do cover uh, occasional other teams as well. I have a YouTube channel where I've been reviewing a lot of movies lately. I'll probably be doing a, a top 10 and, and 10 uh, worst movies of 2020 list here pretty soon. I think I've caught up on pretty much everything I need to see. So please follow me on all those platforms. It'd be much appreciated. And lastly, before anybody forgets two more things, Rate us, review us on iTunes for Amazing Brew. We really appreciate the positive feedback. And two, I've gotten some tweets about this. Even though I'm off Twitter, I don't run the Amazing Brew Twitter account. Like I don't know. I think that was a, a rumor that that was started somehow recently that I was I was sending to that I in my I don't know who does it either. Nefar- right in my right <laughs> in my nefariousness, I've decided to leave Twitter and as as a as a back channel uh, decide to use Amazing Brew as my as my 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 go to. I don't run that account, but I love the people who do, and I support everything we post. All right. Thank you for following me on all those platforms. Anthony, where can we find you? 
Damn. Um, <laughs> well, I run the Maze Brew account, so you could follow that at Maze and Brew on Twitter. We, I mean, other staff members do too, but it's primarily me. Um, Twitter's the bad place. It's not the good place. It is the bad place. So Chris, shout out to you for making good, healthy decisions. Uh, but you can listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher. Like Chris said, leave us, leave us a nice review. Uh, we love your feedback. We love you guys on Twitch who bring your questions and talk throughout the show. Try, you know, try to get more of them in, but you know, we have a tendency to ramble a bit and by we, I mean me. So, um, we're working on it, but, uh, yeah, thanks for your support. Thanks for your time, and we appreciate you. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Luke Giardi, L-U-K-E-G-H-I-A-R-D-I. If you want to watch someone in real time lose their mind over college basketball games, uh, I that is the right place to go because I, I don't do well sometimes. Uh, so you can follow me there. Follow the Brewcast Show page at Brewcast Show. And you know, as Chris and Anthony said, rate us, leave a review, man. Subscribe. You don't want to miss out. And every Monday night, well, usually Monday nights, we'll let you know if we have to push today. But we're live on Twitch, 7.30 p.m. Come hang out. Join the chat. Uh, big thanks to to Kyle Walney, Coop 3 Fat Man for you, and uh, Stealth Nader. Appreciate you guys hopping in the chat here tonight. Always make it a whole lot of fun. So uh, appreciate you guys. And for my partners, Chris Castellani and Anthony Broom, I'm Luke Yardy. We'll see you next week on Brewcast.